resume there. Uh, Pastor Philip did a wonderful job last week in uh, following up from Vacation Bible School and reminding us of who Jesus is and, and, and what he has done for us. Uh, you know, the week before that, we talked about uh, parenting on, on Father's Day. And then, I guess it would have been three Sundays ago now, on the 9th, Preston actually preached from uh, the, the passage that, that I'm going to preach from today. And, and, and we decided, in, in, in essence, to kind of look at the passage from, from two different angles, him to take one, uh, you know, me to take one, so to speak, um, you know, because I think, uh, you know, the main idea there is what he talked about, and we'll review in just a second, of the mystery uh, but, but there's also this running theme through this section uh, of Paul as the messenger of this mystery. So, in, in a sense, Preston and I are kind of going to do some tag team preaching, if you could uh, look at it uh, uh, that way. So, so there you go. You can, you, you can decide who's who, I, I guess. Uh, but... Um, I mean, so when, when Preston preached that day, we'll just kind of review a little bit, kind of with these. I learned two key things that day, okay? First of all, I learned that his sweet wife, Mandy, is fluent in Spanish <laughs> and knows when to use it in every situation. And uh, I also learned that day that I'm 79, <laughs> or actually 80, right? You said I'm 80, okay? I'm 80, so, uh, which was actually kind of encouraging because I think I look really good for 80. <laughs> so... I kind of felt better about myself uh, after hearing that. So, uh, so I'm acting like you guys and just remembering the illustrations and not actually what he taught. Um, no, uh, seriously, I, I do remember what he taught. Uh, I've listened to it a couple of times and encourage you uh, to listen to it if you haven't. But, uh, you know, he, he was focusing on kind of the, the meaning uh, of, of the mystery that Paul is, is talking about here. Uh, I want to talk about Paul as a messenger of that, uh, mini- uh, that mystery. And you say, well, well, that's nice. You know, we know Paul, Apostle Paul. He was this awesome guy, and he did all these great things for the Lord. What does that mean to me? Well, one of the things that, that I want us to, to see today, uh, I mean, for this message to mean much to you, this is one of the convictions that you have to have, is that when we receive Jesus, we receive a call to missions, This isn't just about Paul, this is about us. One of the myths that paralyze the church is there's a certain select, special few called people, instead of realizing what the New Testament teaches, is that we're all called in Christ. We'll get into this in more detail in in, in chapter 4. But the, the, the mystery that uh, Paul is talking about here, and, and, and Preston called it an open secret, and I think that's a great way uh, to, 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 to see it. And, and he took a poll that day, and I, I could only kind of, I, I could only see him. I couldn't see you guys, so I want to do the poll too. So uh, how many of you are good at keeping secrets? Would you raise your hand? Like if I tell you something, it's safe. Okay, put your hands down. How many of you, if, I'm glad you raised your hand, Lori. That, that, that could be a problem. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> be a lot of nervous people in here, <laughs> including me. Um, so, uh, how many of you, though, like if somebody tells you something, like you're just about to explode, it's got to come out? If that's you, would you raise your hand? <laughs> All right. So, 
Can I take it that those of you who didn't raise your hand just don't want to admit that you can't keep a secret? Is that what it is? All right. So, um, so when we get to Ephesians 4.29, I need to talk about gossip some. Is that, is that the end result of that poll, maybe? All right. So this open secret is that Jesus saves Jews and Gentiles, and then this is really the secret because that was revealed in the Old Testament, but that he brings us together in one body in Christ in his church. And so uh, there's a sense in which you can't separate Jesus and the church. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. We're not saved by the church. We're saved exclusively by Jesus Christ, but when we get saved, we are a part of the church. That's not an optional add-on that you can choose or to take or to leave. That, that's just how it works. And so Preston's main idea was that the glory of God, you want to say it, Preston? Uh, no, you don't have to. The good. That's very impressive. You should give him a hand for that. (laughs) So uh, the glory of God, or the plan of God, unites people in the Son of God to proclaim the mystery of God and and display the wisdom of God for the glory of God. So let's focus today then on on the proclamation of, of, of this mystery, sharing this secret. So Let's read the scripture, and then we'll look at it from that particular angle. So it says, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles. Paul was literally in prison as he was writing this letter. So uh, that's what he's saying there. But he was saying that he was in prison because of Jesus Christ, for uh, his faith in him, for his proclamation of him. He says, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, for for the Gentiles, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I've briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by his Spirit, to the holy apostles and, 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 and prophets, and that's the apostles and prophets of the New Testament church, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. Once again, that's the mystery. Not that Gentiles could and would be saved. You see that sprinkled throughout the Old Testament, but that he would bring Gentiles and Jews together as one, no division in uh, the, the church. And that was just shocking uh, to, to the Jews. Okay, verse 7. Of which I became a minister according to, and it ministers the word servant, according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power to me who am less than the least. Now, Preston referred to this um, and when he was preaching this day, that day, but you know, Paul likes to make up words. Here he's making up a word. This phrase, who am less than the least of all uh, the, the saints, I mean, it sounds cumbersome in English. It's cumbersome in Greek. He's literally saying, I'm the most least of the saints, if that even makes a lot of sense. I'm like the lowest of uh, the, the saints. Uh, 
He says, to me, this grace was given. And if there's something we're really going to focus on today, it's this phrase. That I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent uh, that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. See, when we're here declaring the gospel, uh, we're proclaiming it to the angels as well. That's, that's what he's saying. That, that, that's kind of crazy. Every time you proclaim Jesus, either through worship or through evangelism, uh, you're doing two things. You're proclaiming to uh, the fallen angels their defeat once again in Christ. And you're proclaiming to the heavenly angels something. And think about everything they've witnessed. They witnessed at least part of creation. They witnessed all the great miracles that God has done through history. But according to Peter, they desire to look into salvation. They don't understand how that God could and would save us. They've not experienced God in the same way that we have because they've not experienced him as Savior. And so every time we worship, every time we witness, we're proclaiming Jesus Christ as our great God and Savior, even to the angels. That's pretty amazing. It says, according to the eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart in my tribulations for you, which is your glory. So this is the, this is the main idea that I want us to get, and that is that we are to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ to our neighbors and to the nations. We're to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ to our neighbors and to the nations. Now I say the nations because Scripture tells us that over and over again that that's the ultimate purpose of God. Uh, well, the ultimate purpose of God is to glorify His name, but the mission of God, the way we do that, is by making disciples of all tribes, tongue, tongues, peoples, and nations, where uh, at, at the end of the age, uh, in, in heaven forever, that in complete unity and harmony, all people of all uh, races and nations are going to be around the throne of God, worshiping him, and that his church is to be a reflection of that right now. I say our neighbors because of this. Paul said that he was specifically graced by God to reach the Gentiles. Do you know that there are people that you are graced by God to reach, to proclaim the gospel to? It's not just Paul, it's us. Think about this, 2 Corinthians 10, 13, Paul said this. He said, we, however, will not boast beyond measure, but within the limits of the sphere which God appointed us, a sphere which especially includes you. Now, I've preached about this before, but the word sphere basically means a section of the field in the Lord's harvest. You've got a sphere. You have a section in the Lord's harvest field that you're graced for and that you're responsible for. We're called to reach our neighbors and uh, the, the, the nations. And, and when I say we, I mean us individually as believers and us collectively as uh, the, the church. In, in verse 9, there's a phrase in there that refers to making all see. 
And it literally means to shine the light. We're to shine the light of Christ to our neighbors. We're to shine the light of Christ uh, to the nations. Now, what does that look like individually? What does that look like uh, collectively? Well, individually. And I'm going to be honest with you. Sometimes I'm guilty of, you know, I get so caught up in doing church stuff, ministering to people in the church, that I'm not focused enough on you know, individually re- reaching people with the gospel. So I'm not preaching at you, but we all need to be reminded of this. And I think one of the things that, it, it, I wonder what would happen if every Monday morning all of us would pray, Lord, give me somebody to share the gospel with this week. I mean, is that a prayer that God would answer? I think he would. L- l- let me give you an example of this. Um, a lot of you know the Holt family. A lot of you know the Holt family are our neighbors. And they're wonderful people. They're wonderful neighbors. In all seriousness. Because some of you know I like to pick on Debbie. But that's really what I think about them. They do, they do anything in the world for you. But I do like to pick on Debbie. For example, when they moved in. Uh, there's a verse in Proverbs that says something to the effect of, Do not often set foot in your neighbor's house lest he become weary of you and hate you. Um, <laughs> I called Debbie and read that verse to her, <laughs> all in good fun. But um, uh, I, I mean, love the Holts are awesome, uh, and and they have their baby boy Jackson is 16. Okay, uh, Jackson, awesome young man, love Jackson. Other than last summer, he became the first Holt to beat me in basketball. And that was kind of a sad moment, but I held out till I was 79. So I, th- I think that's that's pretty good, though. So, uh, but he beat me. But anyway, uh, Jackson uh, did some yard work for me recently, and I needed to pay him. And uh, so uh, I called his mom, see if he was home, and she said that he was actually out, I guess, with uh, Zach Feldman, uh, who's a who's a college student here at True Life, and they were like ministering to some teenagers. I think she said at Lebanon Baptist Church. I said, well, we got mowing when he gets home. Tell him to come see me. And so he came over to see me. And, um, you know, so I was asking him about uh, what he was doing and, you know, uh, how they were sharing and that kind of thing. And so he kind of told me the backstory of it. And, uh, you know, he told me that he had been praying for opportunities to share. Okay, he said, so uh, sometime recently, him and Zach and one of their friends were playing video games. And, um, and, and I don't understand all the details of what he told me because I'm old, right? I remember Pong. When I played video games, it was like you and a controller and, t- and the TV. There weren't other people in Siberia that you were joining with to play together, right? You know what I'm talking about? So however this works, you know, their online thing is Jesus is king, which is great for young men to be doing that. And, and, and so uh, they're playing their game. Uh, however, this works in, in cyberspace. And three other guys came on and said, God's not real. And um, apparently Jackson took a little you know, righteous indignation uh, to this and decided that he was going to engage these guys and conversation. The other guys joined in with him. And he said one of the guys spent most of the time of their uh, conversation kind of cussing at them. But one of the other three guys, uh, he said his name is Khalil, you can pray for him, said, pray for me. I've been looking for answers for my whole life. 
And I, and I won't go into all the, the, the details, but basically, Jackson, who just who's 16, did apologetics with him for uh, you know, an hour and shared the gospel with him. Now, if a 16-year-old can do that, I don't know adults that we have a lot of excuses, right? So uh, we're called individually to proclaim the gospel to those around us. We're called collectively. How do we do that? We do it on Sunday mornings. You invite people to church. You do it by serving. You know, it's, it's all of us together. The people that are serving the nursery, serving the kids' ministry right now, that's a part of us sharing the gospel. You do it through your giving. You do it through things like Operation Shoe Supply. I'd encourage you to give generously to that. Um, uh, you do it through things like those of you who serve on boots on the ground. And, you know, we'll be talking about the next year of that coming up as you serve the community through your small groups just in your day-to-day lives. You know, in, in the things that uh, we're doing in, in Honduras, it's sharing the gospel. And the things that we're doing in, in, in church planning, uh, I mean, you can do it by inviting people to see the American gospel. I think it's one of the, the first 40 minutes of it, we could show it for an evangelistic sermon in church. I, you know, there, there are people that, uh, part of the reason they're turned off to Christianity is they've seen the prosperity gospel TV preachers. You know people like that? Invite them to come and see this. Uh, tell them to check out the real thing. Okay, so uh, we do it collectively, but let's be honest at the same time, this can be challenging because we know sometimes people will push back. I mean, there's people in our society today who basically think evangelism is hate speech, right? I mean, just think it's, it's totally out of bounds to try to convert someone else. So let me ask this question. Why then would we proclaim Christ? And in the 20 minutes or so that we have left, I want to give you four reasons from this text as to why we should and can proclaim Jesus Christ. And here, here's the first, the most important reason. If we don't even get past this one, it'll be fine because so much of our faith boils down to this particular thing, and that is that Jesus is the greatest treasure, and we talk about what we treasure Jesus is the greatest treasure ever, and we talk about what we treasure. Don't we talk about what we treasure? I mean, if you got your dream house, you're going to talk about it because of how valuable it is to it. You get a new car, you're going to talk about it because of how valuable it, 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 uh, it is to you. You have a child, a grandchild, you're going to be excited, you're going to talk about that. I mean, if you love, uh, you know, if, if you're a vault for life, or if you're a Roll Tide, or if you're uh, a misguided Patriots fan, or, or whoever you may be, you know, in need of great sanctification, uh, you know, you're going to talk about that because you're excited uh, about it. Uh, we had to watch the Super Bowl in small group with them. So, uh, but what, what, we're, what we treasure, what's important, what's valuable, we talk about. And so I think the question is, is how much do we treasure Jesus? Do you think about Jesus in this way? I mean, according to Scripture, he's the pearl of great price. He's, in, in some of his parables, he, you know, he's worth selling everything we've got and buying that field. You know, we think it, rightly so of Jesus as Savior, as God, as King, as Lord, but really, he's also our ultimate treasure. 
You know what one of the main differences between the prosperity gospel and the real gospel is? The prosperity gospel says, um, trust Jesus for what he will give you. The real gospel says, trust Jesus for Jesus. That, that he's enough. That whatever he blesses us with materially is just gravy uh, on top of that. But that he is the treasure. He's not Aladdin who's here to give us all of our wishes He's God. Is he our treasure? You know, in Aaron, put verse 8 back on, on, on the screen. Let's read that again. It says, To me who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And, and, and the word unsearchable there literally means in the Greek that which cannot be traced out. And so riches refers to all the wealth that's bestowed upon us in salvation. Uh, so really what this is saying is that we can't comprehend the greatness of the treasure that we have in the person of Jesus Christ and in the work of Jesus Christ and in the grace that he's given us at salvation. He's of infinite worth. He's of incomprehensible worth that, that we, can't even, we can't even fathom the, the greatness and the glory of who he is and what he's done for us and that his person and work and nothing else is the essence of Christianity. That's what it all boils down to. That, that's what it's all uh, about. And so, I mean, what, what I'm talking about is that Jesus is the eternal God who became fully man, that he's king of kings and lord of lords, just his greatness and his glory, that he died for us and in dying for us, he atoned for all the sins of the world, he absorbed the wrath of God, that he was gloriously resurrected. But, but I want you to think about for a minute just what we've seen in, 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 in Ephesians so far in the first couple of chapters, just that in his person and work, in this salvation... Just the riches that he's bestowed upon us. I mean, think about it. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. He's chosen us to be holy and without blame. He's adopted us. He's accepted us. He's redeemed us. He's forgiven us. He's made us know the mystery of his will. He's given us an inheritance. He's sealed us with the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. He's given us the exceeding greatness of his resurrection power. He's made us alive together with Christ. He's seated us together in heaven with Jesus. He's made us trophies of his grace who display his glory. He's saved us. He's resurrected rescued us by his grace. We are his workmanship prepared for good works. We're brought near to God by the blood of Christ. He is our peace. He's created one new man, one new race in him, the church, and he's reconciled Jews and Gentiles to God in one body, the church, through the cross. He's put to death the enmity between us and God. He's reconciled us to God. And so now we have access. I mean, immediate, direct, continual, complete access to the Father by the 
Holy Spirit. He's made us fellow citizens with the saints. He's made us members of God's family. He's made us living stones in God's temple. And he's made us literally the dwelling place of God. We're rich. We're rich because of the treasure that he is in us. We need to be reminded of that. You know, sometimes we get cold spiritually. I, I do too. Usually I hit a wall sometime after Easter. And, and, and I, that happened to me recently. And I'm going to be honest with you. When Philip preached last week, um, I don't know that I really learned anything new. I mean, I teach Christology in Honduras. I know this stuff in my head, but sometimes I get cold in my heart, too. And God used it to warm my heart. You know, sometimes uh, we, we get distracted. We don't have our eyes fixed on Jesus. That's really how we grow spirits. That's how our hearts warmed. Is maybe that where you are today. Do you need to look at him again and what he's done for us? That's how we grow spiritually is by looking to Jesus, looking to the gospel, being continually reminded of who he is and what he's done for us, and living out of that. Okay, let me, let me give you this example. Okay, take someone uh, who, who's in prison, and they've committed a crime, they're guilty, uh, but at some point, they, they get pardoned. Okay, and um, so they get released, and, and they go back out into society. But, but the thing is, they were in prison for a long time, and, and, and technically, uh, you know, by the government, they've been pardoned for their crime, but while they were in there, they got institutionalized. And so in their mind and in their heart, they're still in prison. They, they may be free on the outside, but on the inside, they're still bound up. Oh, they're forgiven but in their mind, they're still a prisoner. They're, they're still under someone else's control and, and under their authority. But, and, and, and I don't know, you know, you, you've seen movies, you know, where somebody gets released from prison and they're walking out the gate and there's just, there's nobody there and they're on their own and they just don't know what to do uh, with life. So on the one hand, imagine that person. But on the other hand, uh, imagine this. Imagine someone gets pardoned. For their crime. They're, they're forgiven. It's erased. But also, when, when, when they get out of prison, there's a parade that's thrown for them. And, and, and they're given the Congressional Medal of Freedom. And, and they're, they're honored uh, by the president. And, and, and they're celebrated. And you just go down through the list. All these things are done for them. They're not just forgiven but they're given all these things on top of it. And here's the point of the analogy. The second side of it is a better picture of what Jesus has done for us. But the first picture is really how a lot of Christians think and live. I'm forgiven, but I'm institutionalized. In my mind, I'm still where I was. There's a lot of Christians walking around uh, with, with their head down uh, like, I, I'm just a sinner. I'm forgiven. I'm just a sinner. That's not who you are. There's a lot more to the gospel than that. That's one side of it. Yes, you are forgiven. But beyond that, you're in Christ. 
You're adopted. You're accepted. You're redeemed. You're chosen. You belong to God. You're indwelled by the Holy Spirit. You're alive in Christ. You're seated in heavenly places with him. All these things that we've seen in Ephesians. So child of God, you don't have to walk around with your head down, uh, living in the past of the prison of your sin, focused on what you've done and who you were. Child of God, you can lift up your head because your Redeemer has set you free and he's made you a new creation and you're in union with him. You're not who you were. You're a completely new person because Christ, the greatest treasure of all, lives in you. That's how he wants us to live. That's how he wants us to think. He's our treasure. And the point of this is simply, if that's real to us, how can we not tell people about that? And I want you to think about something else. Why should you study the Bible? Why, why do we preach the Bible expositorily, verse by verse, with a focus on Jesus Christ? So once again, we can be reminded continually of who he is and what he's done for us. And that can be the focus of our lives. And we can live out of that. Because if you read 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the Bible tells us when we look at Jesus and we see him, that's where freedom comes from. Freedom is not in religion. Freedom is not in outward things. Freedom is not in our self-effort. It is in Christ and what he has done for us. He is our treasure. Do you treasure him? How do we know? What do we think about? What do we talk about? What do we do? What do we sacrifice for? I mean, if something's valuable, we sacrifice. So think about this. Second, Jesus is a treasure who is valuable enough to suffer for. Paul was in prison. Paul was not in despair. Paul was concerned about them. Paul was willing to suffer for Jesus Christ. Now now think about this. When Paul got saved right after it, uh, Jesus communicated to him. He said it first to Ananias, but then to Paul. He says, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. That that was the plan for his life. You say, well, that's awesome. I'm not the apostle Paul. But the Bible also says, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5, starting in in, in verse 10. Uh, He said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Listen to Philippians 129. Okay, this is not a warm, fuzzy verse. We're not going to enjoy this verse. Nobody's going to put this on a coffee mug or anything like that. But the Bible says, for it is, it, to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but to suffer for his sake. It's probably not in, you know, your little devotional book or whatever, but it's, it's in the Bible. Listen to Colossians 1.24. To me, this is one of the craziest verses in the Bible. It almost sounds heretical when you read it. Paul says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. And like I read that, it's like, 
There's nothing lacking in the afflictions of Christ. I mean, his death was sufficient to pay for all of our sins. What's Paul saying here? Well, he's not questioning that. He absolutely trumpets that. But what he is saying, what's lacking in the afflictions of Christ is the whole world hearing about the afflictions of Christ. And for that to happen, we have to suffer to tell people about the sufferings of Jesus. Are we ready to suffer? We went to the Southern Baptist Convention Earlier this month, and we went to the, the, the pastor's conference, uh, one of the speakers, a man by the name of Andrew Brunson, you may uh, have heard about him on the news, a church planner who was in prison for a couple of years in Turkey. And the point that he was making is persecution's coming, suffering's coming, and we're not ready for it. Uh, the, later that night, there was a panel discussion about persecution around the world. And it, it's mind-boggling. What is happening to our brothers and sisters around the world? What will we do if we were in that situation? Are we ready to suffer? I don't know. We might want to try a little sacrifice first. I mean, if we want to walk across the street to tell our neighbor about Jesus, we're probably not ready to suffer for him. I mean, if we can't give anything to advance the gospel, if we can't serve in the church, whatever we want to talk about, we can't give up our favorite TV program or some Facebook time to spend time with Jesus and worship and Bible study, we're probably not ready to suffer for him. And really, when we talk about suffering or sacrifice, if Jesus is as great of a treasure, I'm not even sure those are words we should even use in light of the suffering and sacrifice that he's made for us. Jesus is a treasure that we have to talk about. Jesus is a treasure that we have to talk about. And, and, and the idea of this, when he uses the word dispensation here, it's talking about stewardship. In other words, telling others about Jesus is a matter of obedience. Telling others about Jesus is a matter of obedience. We've been entrusted with this. So just think about this analogy. Uh, maybe it's a strange analogy. But just think about it this way. Well, let's just say um, that I'm at work one day, and some of our staff are here, and somehow I get word that my family is in imminent danger. And, uh, and I get word that, that if I warn them that they're going to be killed. So somehow I manage to slip the information to one of our staff people that they need to go and warn uh, my family so that they can be rescued, so that they can be saved from this imminent danger uh, that they're in. And at some point, I find out that my family has been killed, and I find this staff person like, what are you doing? And I find that they're sitting there scrolling through their Facebook feed instead of going and warning them. Are they going to have a job? Do you understand? We've been entrusted with the news by God to warn people that they're in an imminent danger and they need to be saved. And if we're sitting around doing meaningless things instead of warning them, we're going to have to answer to the Lord for that. It's a stewardship that he's entrusted to us. And then the last thing is that Jesus is a treasure, not just that we have to share, but that we get to share. That we get to share. I mean, think about how many times in this passage that Paul talks about grace. We're graced to share about the grace that we've been given Jesus transformed Paul's life. 
I mean, even his name, you know what the name Saul means? It means mighty. You know what the name Paul means? It means little. You want to be humble? It's the gospel. You think you're mighty, you got it all together, you can handle it. Look to Jesus and what he's done for you. That's where humility comes from. Jesus changed Paul's life, and his life wasn't about Saul anymore. It was about Jesus. And if our life has been transformed by Jesus, it's our privilege to share that with others. I don't care what your testimony is. I mean, you you may have been the vilest sinner out there. You may have gotten saved as a kid, been an upright, moral person your whole life. But if you're really saved, my testimony, your testimony is, I am what I am by the grace of God. It's by Jesus Christ and who he is and what he has done for us. Our great treasure. We talk about what we treasure. We're graced by God to share the unsearchable riches of Christ with our neighbors and the nations. Are you sharing with your neighbors? Are you contributing to this church, sharing it with the nations? Is Jesus your greatest treasure? I'm not talking about what we say in church on Sunday, but how we live day in and day out. Really, is Jesus in your life at all? I mean, really. I mean, I want you to think about this, and we'll close with this. You know, a lot of us have heard and been taught, you know, just pray a prayer, And, um, you know, you're going to heaven, you're good. That is not the gospel. That is not the gospel. Listen, sometimes people have confusion in in their life. I struggled with this at one point in my life, you know, because maybe they don't know the exact date or time, or they don't know if they did it all right. You know, that's really not the issue either. Really, the issue is, right now in your life, are you trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone, relying on his grace, relying on what he has done for you, thinking that there is nothing that you can do to bring you salvation? Have you confessed Jesus as your Lord and meant it, saying, Jesus, you're the boss of my life? And do you actually treasure and value Jesus? See, what we're doing when we pray a prayer because somebody told us to pray a prayer and then we go on our merry way living our own life is we're not actually treasuring Jesus. We're using Jesus to avoid hell and then to be able to live however we want to live. And that's not the gospel. Is Jesus your Lord, your Savior, your treasure? If not, I encourage you to turn to him, to see who he is and what he has done for you, and in faith, surrender your life to him, give yourself to him, receive him into your life, ask him to take control of you, to change you, Maybe some of you just need to pray, Jesus, warm my heart again. Help me to fix my eyes on you. Help me to see you as my great treasure. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.